Okay, we continue now with the discussion of the Chula Vedala Sutta. And last time we discussed the section, the section in the Sutta on concentration, on Samadhi. Now we come to a new section which deals with sankharas or formations. This is one of the most important terms in Buddhist philosophy and so before we actually come to the sutta I want to give a general explanation of this word sankhara. According to the commentators the word sankara comes from the root karoti, which means to do, to make, and it has the prefix sang, which means together. So the word sankara we might render literally as making together or coordinated activity so many translators use the word formations which it's in no way literal and it really doesn't suggest very much which is I think the advantage that it has since it doesn't bring along too much, too heavy a load of connotations in English. And the commentators offer two ways of deriving the word Sankara. There's an active derivation, Sankaranti, which would mean things that make, things that create, things that form or construct. Well, we can maybe call this constructive activity. Then there is a passive derivation, sankarinti which means things that are made by other things, things that are created or constructed. So we have these two sides of Sankara, things that actively make other things and things that are made by other things. And the interesting point in Buddhist philosophy is that the two terms, or the two ways of deriving sankhara, active and passive, generally can be taken to refer to the same things. So that everything within the world, within the universe, everything except the asankata dhatu, the unconditioned element. Everything is both 
a conditioning factor, a causal or constructive factor, and at the same time is constructed, conditioned, created by other things. So we don't have any constructive force, any creative force, which is not itself conditioned or created by something else. And we don't have any created thing, any constructive thing, which is not itself constructing, creating, or conditioning something else. So everything which is conditioned is at the same time conditioning other things. Everything that is conditioning other things is at the same time conditioned itself by still other things. Now in the Pali Suttas we meet four major context in which the word sankara occurs and it's very important to distinguish these contexts and not mix them up together otherwise that can lead to misunderstandings even serious misunderstanding of the teaching first in the broadest context the word sankara signifies what is called sankata sankara. That is, sankaras mean all conditioned things. Everything that arises from causes and conditions is called sankara. Here, the passive derivation. Sankariyanti is the more prominent one. Though these sankaras are also sankaranti, they're also causing or creating. And maybe can you give me an example of a place in the text where the Buddha speaks about Sankata Sankara, referring to all Sankara, all conditioned things. You always recite it at funerals. <laughs> Anicca Vata Sankara, or in the famous verses, gathas from the Dhammapada, Sabbe Sankara Anichati, Sabbe Sankara Dukati. And when Sankara is used signifying Sankata Sankara, then it means, or it refers it refers to all five aggregates, all the panchakanda are sankata sankara. 
Okay, so this is the broadest meaning of the word sankara, all conditioned phenomena, everything that arises from causes and conditions, and referring particularly to all the five aggregates. In this case, whether it's physical form, feeling, perception, the mental formations or consciousness, all of those are called sankara in the sense of being conditioned phenomena, conditioned things. Okay, then the second context where we meet the term sankara is in the analysis of the five aggregates. Then we find the fourth aggregate is called the Sankara Kanda. Now if we don't understand the Dhamma, or if we don't make the right distinctions, then when one sees Sankara Kanda, one thinks, ah, this is interesting. All the five aggregates can be included in the fourth aggregate. But that would be, don't write that down as a note, because <laughs> that would be nonsense or incorrect. Here, in the analysis of the aggregates, the fourth aggregate, the Sankara Kanda, does not mean all conditioned things. Rather, it means the six types of Chaitana, volition. That is, volition regarding visible forms, regarding sounds, smell, taste, touch sensations, or mental phenomena, ideas. Any volition, intention, regarding these objects is included in the Sankara Kanda. And according to the Abhidhamma method, in the Abhidhamma, the Sankara Kanda is said to include not only the volitions, but all other mental factors except for feeling and perception, which are, which are separate aggregates. So the other 50 mental factors that arise together with consciousness, those are called the Sankara Kanda. But to understand it simply, you can just rely on the Sutta method, where the Buddha says, what is the Sankara Kanda? The six groups of volition, Chaitanya. So if somebody asks you, Somebody says, now you say that the five aggregates are sankharas. Is the Vedana Kanda included in the Sankara Kanda? What would you answer? Is the Sanya Kanda, perception aggregate, included in the Sankara Kanda? What do you say? It's not. Is the Vijnana Kanda included in the Sankara Kanda? 
<laughs> is it? How about the Rupa Kanda? Is that included in the Sankara Kanda? Is it? Yes or no? How about the Sankara Kanda? Is that included in the Sankara Kanda? That is the Sankara Kanda. Okay, so now we have the second meaning of Sankara. Okay, the third meaning of Sankara Kanda, I'm sorry, the third type of Sankara comes in the context of dependent origination, Paticca Samupada. Here we get in the formula Abhija Pachaya Sankara with ignorance as condition, Sankara formations arise. With Sankara as condition, Vijnana arises. That is with the, we could say the formations as condition, consciousness arises. Okay, here Sankara has even a narrower range of meaning. Here it doesn't mean all the mental factors that arise together with consciousness. Here it doesn't even mean all types of volition, but rather it means only karmically active, wholesome and unwholesome volition. We say kusala and the kusala chaitanya. This is, these are the types of volition, volitional activity that keeps the round of sankhara turning. And sankhara in this sense is equivalent to kamma, kusala and the kusala kamma. And here the active sense in both two and three, the active sense of Sankara is prominent. They are called, we could say, formations because they form or create or construct. In the case of the Sankara Kanda, volition is the active force behind actions. And in the case of dependent origination, it is the sankharas that give rise to consciousness in the new existence and thereby create or construct the continuation of the round of existence, sankhara. If we want to represent these, the relationship of these three types of sankhara with a diagram in terms of comprehensiveness, we could say that the sankhata sankhara is represented by this outer circle. 
since that includes everything conditioned. All conditioned things, all five aggregates. Then, narrower in scope, represented by circle two, which is enclosed within circle one. Circle two would be the Sankara Kanda. That includes all volition, all intentional activity. And since that is only one of the five aggregates, it's included within circle one, which represents all five aggregates. And then, within the Sankara Kanda, those volitions, wholesome and unwholesome volitions, which are karmically potent, karmically active, those make up the Sankara Pachaya. one of the factors of dependent origination. Okay, is this clear so far? Any questions on this? Can you explain which are the non-comically active positions? Yeah, yeah. Actually, to explain that, one has to bring in <laughs> some technical analysis. Those would be the volitions in karmically resultant states of consciousness and in um, what are called the Kriya states of consciousness, the states of consciousness of an Arhant or the Kriya states of consciousness, which any, any Kriya states of consciousness. And also it would include the wholesome volition of the super-mundane path consciousness, Lokutara Magga. That volition is not a Sankara within the formula of dependent arising. Because... Yeah. Well, the Sankara of the super-mundane path, it issues in its pala, in the fruit. But it does not function to keep the round of samsara in motion. So it's not a pachaya or condition for new consciousness. Okay, and now, uh, any, any additional questions on this? Okay, now we come to the fourth type of Sankara mentioned in the text. I'm calling this, just con for convenience sake, the Chulavedala Sankara. So it doesn't have that name in any of the commentaries. But that refers to the three types of Sankara that we are going to come across right now. And so rather than explain those here, now we'll just turn to the text. This is now paragraph 13. And now I think Bisaka maybe asked this 
asked this question as a trick question intending to try to catch Dhammadina in order to find out her level of understanding and so he asks lady how many sankharas are there and she replies that there are these three sankharas formations the bodily formation the verbal formation and the mental formation I will write the Pali for this since this is where the trick comes Yeah, these three terms Kaya Sankara, Vachi Sankara and Chitta Sankara are also the three types of Sankara which are mentioned by the Buddha in connection with dependent arising with Sankara Pachaya but when the Buddha is explaining the Sankara in dependent arising then by Kaya Sankara he means bodily activity karmic activity through the body action, bodily action which generates karma by Vachi Sankara the formation of speech he means verbal action speech which generates Sankara and when he refers, speaks of Chitta Sankara the mental formation, the formation of mind then he means mental activity thinking, planning, desiring wishing and so on which generates <coughs> which generates karma <coughs> but here Dhammadina uses these same three terms but with a different meaning intended and the reason why a different meaning is intended is because these three Sankara or the, the Sankara which are referred to by these three names Kaya Sankara, Bachi Sankara, Chitta Sankara also mean three types of activity or formations which are figure in an account of the stages of meditation particularly in the sequence of meditation leading to the final attainment called Nirodha Samapati and now Visaka is asking this question because he wants to get Dhammadina to speak about Nirodha Samapati and to explain how this attainment of cessation is to be obtained but he doesn't come out and say this straight away but instead he approaches it indirectly by asking this question what are the three types of Sankara and she says, Dhammadina says the bodily formation the verbal formation and the mental formation and now Visaka says what is the bodily formation what is the verbal formation what is the mental formation 
if Dhammadina didn't understand his intention in asking the question, then she might have fallen into the trick, into the trap, by <laughs> answering in terms of dependent origination, explaining that bodily, the, the body formation is wholesome or unwholesome bodily action and so on. But Dhammadina, being an arahant with Patisambhita Jnana, she understood the intention of the question and so she answers correctly and she says in and out breathing asasa basasa that is the bodily formation applied thought and sustained thought vitaka vichara that is the verbal formation and perception and feeling that is the mental formation, the citta sankara. Okay, so now she answers in that way. And now, if you want to know the explanation why these are called sankaras, then we just go to the next question. Okay, the next question, Visaka asks, why are in and out breathing called the bodily formation? Why are Vitaka and Vichara, applied and sustained thought, called the verbal formation? Why are perception and feeling called the mental formation? And then Dhammadina answers very clearly, in and out breathing, are bodily. These are states bound up with the body. That is why in-breathing and out-breathing are the bodily formation. And here I should say that the sense is not, as I understand it, is not that the body depends upon breathing, but rather <laughs> in and out breathing depend on the body. <laughs> if there was no body, there would be no in and out breathing. In fact, there can be the body without in and out breathing. When one enters the fourth jhana and any of the higher meditative attainments, then the breathing stops, but the body still exists and it's still alive. But if there is no body, there can be no in and out breathing. <laughs> okay, then applied thought and sustained thought are called the verbal formation because before one speaks, one thinks and reflects, thinks and ponders. And then after one thinks and ponders, then one breaks out into speech. And so for this reason, applied thought and sustained thought are called the verbal formation. Then perception and feeling are mental. 
they are states which are bound up with the mind, dependent on the mind. And therefore, perception and feeling are called the mental formations. Okay, that much is clear, or should be clear. Are there any questions on, on that? Okay, now we come into the main discussion for which this preliminary question on the formations was raised. This is the discussion concerning Niroda Samapati, which is rendered the attainment of cessation. Also in the old text, the Sutta text, it's called Sanya Vedayita Niroda, which means the cessation of perception and feeling. Should I I'll write that in the Okay, first I will just read the text and then we'll give a little ex explanation. Here, Visaka asks, how does the attainment of the cessation of perception and feeling come about? And Dhammadina says, when a bhikkhu is attaining the cessation of perception and feeling, it does not occur to him, I shall attain the, the cessation of perception and feeling, or I am attaining the cessation of perception and feeling or I have attained the cessation of perception and feeling. But rather, his mind has previously been developed in such a way that it leads him to that state. Okay, now this is a little cryptic, so I'll give some explanation. In the Buddhist texts, there's frequent mention made of nine meditative attainments, which are arranged in a sequence, a graded sequence, which are called sometimes the nine graduated abiding, the nine anupuba vihara, or in the commentaries they're called simply the nine meditative attainments. There is the first, first there is the four jhanas, first, second, third, fourth jhana. Then there are the four formless attainments, the base of infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness, and the base of neither perception nor non-perception. And then there is this ninth attainment, the cessation of perception and feeling. And if you just read the text, the suttas just on the surface, without knowing the whole context, you think that 
any meditator or monk or any yogi just goes into first jhana, second, third, fourth, then through the four formless attainments, and then goes into, if he's skillful enough, into Nirodha Samapati. But in reality, it's not quite like that. First, it's to achieve Nirodha Samapati, it's not enough just to have mastery of the eight previous attainments. Nirodha Samapati can only be attained by two types of individuals. One are arahants and the other anagamis. Anyone below the level of anagami of non-returner cannot achieve Nirodha Samapati. Even a one-stream-enterer, a once-returner, who has mastered the other eight attainments, cannot achieve Nirodha Samapati. It can only be achieved by arahants and non-returners. And then, it cannot be achieved by it cannot even be achieved by all non-returners or all arahants. It can only be achieved by non-returners and arahants who have mastered the eight attainments of Samatha meditation, the eight jhanas. And what happens in Nirodha Samapati is that the entire mental process is brought to a stop. It's a state in which the stream of consciousness itself is cut off and stopped temporarily. This is a distinct state from the realization of Nibbana but it's said to be a state which is, figuratively speaking, it's said to be a taste of anupadisesa nibbana, of the final nibbana, here and now. And so this attainment, it's only accessible to non-returners and arahants. And in order to achieve this attainment, a special process is necessary, a process which is explained in, I think it goes back, well it's recorded in the Visuddhi Magga, but I think it goes back even further to the Patisambhita Magga, a very old treatise. To enter Nirodha Samapati, the meditator, a non-returner or an arhant has to go through each of the preceding meditative attainments in turn. He enters into the first one, the first jhana. Then he comes out of that jhana 
and he contemplates the jhana with insight in order to comprehend that jhana as impermanent dukkha and not self. After he gets clear comprehension of the first jhana as impermanent suffering and non-self, then he makes the determination to enter the second jhana. He enters the second jhana, remains in it for some time till it becomes stabilized, then emerges and contemplates the second jhana in terms of the three characteristics impermanent, suffering, not self. And thus he goes up through one attainment after the other until he reaches the third formless attainment, the base of nothingness. He enters into that, becomes stabilized in it, then emerges from it, and he contemplates that as impermanent dukkha, not self. Okay, now, after completing this comprehension or contemplation, with insight on the base of nothingness, he makes certain determinations in his mind. Some of them relate to monastic proceedings, that if there should be a meeting of the Sangha while I'm in the Rodasamapati, then I will come out of it spontaneously in order to attend that meeting. <laughs> this is particularly the case since in the ancient times there were monks who were able to enter this attainment even for seven days straight. And so if they're going to make a determination for seven days or even a few days, and if their presence is needed for some sangha function, <laughs> then they should come out of the attainment spontaneously so that they don't um, invalidate any proceeding of the Sangha. And so the meditator makes these prior determinations and he also makes a determination how long he's going to stay in Niroda Samapati. The maximum I think is seven days but it can be a shorter period perhaps even a few seconds or five minutes Then, having made that determination, he enters into the fourth formless attainment called the base of neither perception nor non-perception. Then the mind goes into that attainment and remains in it for just a few moments of consciousness. And then after those few moments of consciousness have elapsed, then the citta santana, 
the stream of consciousness just turns off and stops. And when the meditator is in that state, then there's just no mental function at all. And yet, life is still continuing. And when he comes out, then the mind is even very, very strong, very bright and very powerful. So that whenever a monk would come out of Nirodha Samapati and would re-enter the circle of monks, then the other monks would notice and say that you seem very, very serene, your complexion seems very bright and pure, because the whole organism has been refreshed in this incomprehensible way by this attainment. And so when we read Dhammadina's explanation here, the point is that the monk, when he's about to attain or enter into cessation, there doesn't come the thought, I shall attain the cessation, or I am attaining it, or I haven't attained it, but rather he does all of this preparatory work, he makes the determination to enter it, and then enters the fourth formless attainment. And then because of the power of his previous preparation and because he has made the determination to enter Nirodha Samapati, he enters it automatically without having to make the thought, let me enter Nirodha Samapati. It's just the previous determination which carries him into that state. Okay, and now we'll come to the next question. Since this is where the question about the Sankaras tie up. Visaka says, when a bhikkhu is attaining the cessation of perception and feeling, which states sees first than him? the bodily formation, the verbal formation, or the mental formation. And Dhammadina replies, when the bhikkhu is attaining the cessation of perception and feeling, first the verbal formation ceases, then the bodily formation ceases, then the mental formation ceases. <coughs> Can anybody explain why the, the, why the verbal formation ceases first, why the bodily formation ceases next, why the mental formation ceases last? Right. the Right. So and then only we have perception feeling. They only for perception maybe with this uh, neva sanya nasanya 
and then feeling goes with you. Yeah, actually they're both present in Navas, even perception is present very subtly in Navas Sanyana Sanyaya. Anyway, let me, okay, that's a good, that's a correct answer, but I'll just repeat it out loud. <coughs> okay, Vachi, oh, I'm sorry, the speech Sankara, the formation of speech, is applied thought and sustained thought, vitaka and vichara. And where does vitaka and vichara stop? In moving from the first jhana to the second jhana. When one enters the second jhana, then there's no uh, applied thought and sustained thought. It comes about through the stilling or subsiding of Vitaka and Vichara. But even in the second jhana, there's still in and out breathing. But as the yogi goes on into the third jhana, then the bodily processes become still subtler. And when he enters the fourth jhana, then they become so subtle that the breathing stops. And since the breathing is the bodily formation, so we can say that the bodily formation ceases in the fourth jhana. But while he is in the, when he goes into the arupa jhanas, the formless attainments, there's still feeling and there's still perception. Even in the fourth formless attainment, there's still a very subtle, very refined perception and feeling. Even so refined that one might not even notice them anymore. But they're still present. But when he enters Nirodha Samapati, the attainment of cessation, then perception ceases and feeling ceases. And so then we can say, now the citta sankara, the formation of mind, has ceased. Understood? Okay, I think we will stop here and continue with this next time. Are there any questions on this? This is, maybe seems very abstruse. <laughs> but it's, I think it's good to study some of these very deep and um, abstruse aspects of the Dhamma, even if they might lie very far beyond our present experience, just so that we can get a a picture of what the path looks like. All the other eight attainments can be reached not only by stream enter and once returner, but by anybody, even those outside the Buddha sasana, even the yogis before the Buddha appeared, the, even the Buddha's first meditation teachers when he was a bodhisattva, Alara Kalama had reached the third formless attainment, the base of nothingness. And the other teacher, Uddhaka Ramaputta, 
his teacher Rama had reached the fourth formless attainment, neither the base of neither perception nor non-perception. Could you again say why is is it not possible for any other except for this people? To enter into the cessation yeah. of perception and feeling? I think if I remember in the Visuddhi Magga, I think it explains because the even the latent tendencies of sensual desire and ill will have not been eradicated by anyone except the non-returner. And those underlying tendencies or latent tendencies even of sensual desire and ill will, even if they're completely suppressed, but still the fact that they're still present even dormantly in the mind creates a barrier for entering Nirodha Samapati. So would that be in some way connected with teaching of uh, nutrients and maybe their inability to let go of perception and feeling, kind of having a need for that kind of nutrient, or is it different? The nutrients kind of attachment. Like they say there are these four kinds of yeah, nutrients. Yeah. So uh, our perception and feeling are, are uh, among these four. Actually, they are not included amongst the four nutrients. Oh, so it's solid food, um, contact, consciousness, and oh, volition. So and the, from from that teaching. Visaka is an anagami and Dhammadina is an arhan. But I, he's really asking the questions, not, I think, not because he doesn't know the answers and he doesn't understand. I think he's asking the questions just to give Dhammadina a chance to 
show her knowledge. And also, according to the commentary, I explained in the first class, in their lay life they were husband and wife. Then after she became a nun and she went off in seclusion, and now she's come back to Rajgir. And so he wants to find out by not asking directly, did you become an Arhant? If you're an Arhant, do you have the Patisambhita jnanas? But just by asking very deep and tricky questions, he wants to find out whether she's reached that attainment. Also maybe for your own education. Yeah. Maybe even those points are not understood by him, to some extent. understand practically what the result and condition is? The Vipaka Chaitana? Excuse me? The Vipaka Chaitana, the result yeah. and condition, I sometimes can't picture it practically. Yeah, but it's it very hard because... It's, not it's somewhat hard to understand because normally we think of volition as being the active force. But the thing is that the mental factor called Chaitana has other functions which don't correspond exactly to that of volition. According to the Abhidhamma method of explanation, Chaitana, besides being karmically active volition, also has the role of organizing or coordinating the other mental factors in the task of knowing the object. And so we would say that Vipaka Chaitana is still performing that function of coordination, of coordinating all the mental factors and unifying them in the task of knowing the object. But because that Chaitana is the result of karma, it's not generating any more karma by itself. So it's like looking at the glass well, even when we look at the glass, just, and I know that's a glass, that's still not a vipaka. That is, still, it would be a karmically active a state of consciousness. Yeah. So it's very, you know, the karmic force of just looking at the glass, it's very subtle. But this is according to the Abhidhamic method, in that sequence of cheetahs, just the visual consciousness, which just takes in the form of the object, that is a resultant consciousness. Okay. In that chakku vinyana, that eye consciousness, there is chaitana. And that chaitana, that volition, its only task is to coordinate all the other mental factors mm -hmm. in knowing the object. Most important factor is volition. <laughs> in uh, the beauty factor, in the mental factor, most important is chetana. Without chetana, no actions. Therefore, chetana is very short. is chetana. And the fact that there is, that I would say that there is, Vipaka Chaitana, even recognizing the suttas, like some question who criticize the Abhidhamma, they say 
the notion of Vipaka Chaitana, it's contradictory. Mm. So they say the, the Buddha says it is Chaitana, volition that I call karma. And so you cannot say that karma is Vipaka, that karma is its own result. But the Buddha says that Nama is, well, he says that Chaitana is part of Nama, that Nama always includes volition. And so there's volition on any occasion of experience. But now, when conception takes place in the womb, the Buddha says that this is, he says, Nama Rupa descends into the womb. Okay, so at the moment that this descent of Nama is taking place in the womb, the moment of conception, clearly that's Vipaka, that's not Karma. And yet at that moment of Vipaka, there has to be Chaitana, because Nama is coming into the womb. Or when I experience some feeling passively, I bang my arm against something, and pain arises. That painful feeling, it's a Vipaka. And yet there has to be a chaitana volition in that experience just to know that there's pain. That chaitana, that is the volition. Any other question? And that arahas, all the activities are issueless. Yeah. Yeah, they are free, all yeah. issueless. Just mere action. Yeah. Okay, then we will stop for today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.